What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And fuck the 76s. Sammy Adams, baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Celtics just absolutely destroyed the 76ers, 112-88. to um, I want to start this episode off with an apology from me specifically first. Um, we had a funeral for the Boston Celtics after Game 5. Um, and I didn't get to express my feelings about the Celtics after game six. So all you're going to hear is us having a funeral after game five to me praising the hell out of them after game seven. But I texted you the day of game six being like, I have the utmost confidence the Celtics are going to win this game. I just knew they were going to win it. I had no worries about it at all. And the second they won that game, I placed all my money in my betting account on them to win game seven. And it's one of those things where I called Jason Tatum in our private conversations, the A plus version of Tobias Harris. <laughs> and, you know, I apologize for that. That's, I need to take <laughs> accountability for that because he just broke the record for the most points in a game seven in NBA history uh, with 51. And this was one of those games where, you know, yeah, he does have a little bit of Tobias Harris in him. I'm not going to back off of that. But he also has a little bit of fucking Michael Jordan in him. Um, and that's what's frustrating about Tatum is because you can see these crazy fucking highs. When he plays like this, the Celtics are unstoppable. There's not a single team that can beat this team. Yeah, and it feels like, I mean, you know, just to say about Jason Tatum, it feels like through these whole playoffs, we've just been waiting for something to give. We've just been waiting for one of those excellent games. And for the most part, we haven't really gotten one. Um, this was unbelievable. The best game seven performance ever. Yeah. The most points ever. 60% shooting from the field. 28 shots to get 51 points. 42 through three quarters. Unbelievable, man. And after the first three quarters and the way that game six started, just the last five quarters for Jason Tatum has been unbelievable. And I get the doubts, but these are the moments that make him a superstar. Yeah. And you have been on this all year long. You've really kind of put your credit or your reputation on this fact that Tatum really impacts games more than scoring now than he has or ever has. Like if he has a bad scoring night, he still can contribute in a large way. And I, I've taken your word on that. I've watched a lot of the Celtics as well. And I've noticed that he's a much more reliable rebounder this year. Like it feels like he impacts the boards kind of no matter what. Not only did he score 51 points tonight, he had 13 rebounds, five assists, zero turnovers, and two steals. There's not really much more you can do in a basketball game. Like, that is what we call an A-plus performance. That's a 99 out of 100 and 100 out of 100, right? Near perfection. There's basically nothing more we could have expected from him to do. Um, and this is what he got for help. Like, Jalen Brown was fantastic, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, but in terms of the periphery guys, right? Marcus Smart, only seven points. Al Horford, only six points. Rob Williams, six points. Malcolm Brogdon had 12 points, but it was on below 40% shooting. And Derek White had three points. It was Tatum and Brown and basically a bunch of very small contributions from everyone else. And it worked in spades. This is why this team thrives the way that it does is because the leading shot takers are Tatum with 28, Brown with 19, Brogdon with 14, and then nobody else in double digits which is exactly what we want when Jason Tatum is hot or when Jalen Brown is hot, feed them, feed them, feed them. 
Um, Jason Tatum, man, just the last this game. I don't know what to think about him so far in terms of like how he ranks in the league, because man, these past week and a half, we have gone up and down with him. Um, I'm just, I'm blown away by this game, man. The I'm not even going to share the texts we shared while he was (laughs) over 10 up until halftime. And it's like, but our opinion of him, during while that was happening was like what the fuck is this like Mm -hmm. this is disgusting this is gross like no player his caliber should ever perform this way and then he turns around and in game seven drops 51 um you know i think moving forward for me i think the way i'm just going to view him is one of these players that really can hit the highest of highs in terms of ceiling and then I can also disappear on you a little bit. Um, but like I said, when he, when he hits his ceiling, the Celtics are not losing. Like if he has a, an efficient 35-point game or above, the Celtics are never losing that game. Pretty much, man. And when you look at the defense, that's really the story of how the Celtics have been able to win the last two games. 88 points for them today, under 90 for them the game before. That is how you win a basketball game. They hold them to 10 third quarter points. And there is a huge storyline that we need to bring up with this. And it's Rob Williams getting injected back into the lineup. And that's Joe Maz, right? Um, We had a funeral for him as a head coach um, after game five. And he took the found money. And sometimes that's all you need to do as a head coach is just try something you've already tried or try something that's already been done. He puts Rob in the starting lineup. The Sixers cannot figure out the spacing of the court at all after that move was made. And that's why you see the uh, total points uh, uh, that the Sixers have put up in the last two games. Like, it's disgusting offense from the Sixers. Yeah, Rob's defense has been great. Al Horford's defense in Game 7 has been great. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, the defense has just been unbelievable, and that's what leads you to this point. Uh, Like Jason Tatum, the stinker that he had through the first three quarters of game six, the Celtics persevered. They still kept it a ball game. They even had a 16-point lead at some point with Tatum doing what he was doing. So the depth is really what keeps you in games, but it's games like this where you need somebody to step up in a big way that Jason Tatum really, really showed up. Um, Can we talk just for a little bit before just glowing about the Celtics some more about the horrendous Embiid and Harden performances. We got to do a little more Celtics because because we, we gotta we gotta just keep talking glowingly. Uh, okay. Before, and and just Celtics moving forward because they won the series. Um, but they're facing the Heat, right? And I think a lot of stuff was made as the postseason was beginning, of hey, we're lucky we didn't play the Heat um, in the first round. Uh, we're lucky we got the Hawks type of attitude and you'd think the heat would be gone by now and here they are as your eastern conference opponent um i'm feeling much better about the celtics as a unit moving forward uh how do you feel just about that matchup before we start talking 76ers uh destruction i think the thought in a lot of people's heads was miami could take the celtics to six in the first round and that's why you don't want to face them um so the fact that we got taken to six anyway you know I'm not worried about the Heat one bit. I think it is awesome for that team, the fact that they made it to the conference finals in the first place. And Jimmy Butler is not a guy that we have been able to figure out, um, or as anyone for that matter. But I I don't 
I'm not worried about the heat whatsoever. The one interesting wrinkle will be, will Tyler Hero play at all in this series? It's a yeah. four to six, four to six week injury. And I think the start of this series, I don't know at what point it hits four weeks, but there's a, there's a chance he comes back. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very interesting storyline to keep an eye on. And also Jimmy Butler has still been incredible, but he's not what he was in the Bucks series against the Knicks. Uh, the Miami Heat were playing 90 to 90 games all series long. Like these weren't offensive explosions from the Miami Heat. And we saw in the Bucks series, they were putting up 130, right? So this is, we're starting to see them kind of regress back to the mean. And we're also seeing Jason Tatum kind of figure out his shit and Joe Maz make an, a, an adjustment that quite frankly changes the team completely by putting Rob Williams back into the starting lineup. So I'm feeling very good about the Celtics moving into the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I don't think it'll be a quick series because the Heat never give up. Um, but I do I do feel confident that the Celtics come out of that series. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty reasonable. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know if that's a six-game series. I hope it's not a seven-game series because in terms of talent, as as impressive as it is that the Miami Heat have made it this far, the Celtics do not compare to the Heat in terms of talent. They are worlds above. Yeah, we're talking about the deepest team in the league with two all-NBA players against a team that was the eighth seed. Um, it does not compare. Uh, these these guys are G League players that have really performed above their averages and really have kind of stepped up. Um, you're facing an established dominant team in the Celtics with guys who have been doing this for years on end. Uh, I, I don't expect it to I don't expect the Heat in any universe to win this series. I'm very confident the Celtics move forward. The one interesting thing I'll think I'll it'll Sorry, the one interesting thing we'll have to see in this series is the turnovers with Tatum and Brent. Because <clears throat> Jason Tatum, zero turnovers in game seven, that's excellent. We remember he set the record for most turnovers in a playoff run yep. last year. Uh, Jalen Brown, the Heat had his number every time he tried handling the ball last year. That'll be a major question. But if, you know, we had to turn Jalen Brown into kind of a movement shooter, a catch and shoot guy, a catch and go guy, and that worked really well. Um, so with Brogdon and White and Smart handling the show, like if we have to adjust in that way, we probably will, man. I mean, Joe Missoula is not some expert adjuster. He's not an excellent head coach. He will be outcoached by Spolstra, but the talent is overwhelming. Yeah, and I see a lot, already, I see a lot of Celtics chatter about like what an adjustment by Missoula to put Rob in the starting. Like Udoka was the fucking one who came up with that shit. He's just, he's playing with found money and he deserves credit because he could have been stubborn and stuck with that lineup he was using beforehand, um, which was losing them games. He made the change and it's winning now. So, you know, yes, he's, he made a great adjustment. He's not a mastermind. I will never, I'm never going to call him that. And you're facing Spolstra who me and you glow about through text, just like on the average day. Like we just say, wow, if our team's <laughs> Spolstra, like what the fuck would they be? Yeah. Um, and I also want to say something quickly that I think I'm a little shocked by, honestly. A little bit of my Celtics fandom was just reignited. Um, I was just at the bar in L.A. And, you know, just watching them beat the dog shit out of the Sixers and them win me money because I placed money on them winning kind of ignited something in my heart that I thought was dead. Um and I'm kind of happy that I I can confidently say I actually give a shit about the Celtics' success now. 
Uh, I just wanted to put that out in the universe, in the ether, because I know if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably think I fucking hate this team sometimes with the way I talk about them. But honestly, the way they perform today, it, it, it ignited an excitement for me about the Celtics that I haven't had in a while. Yeah, and I think part of that goes to Jason Tatum. And Honestly, part of yeah. the hype that, you know, a lot of the hype that the Celtics get is around their best player. And when their best player is putting up 19 points and having stinkers, uh, you let us hear about it, man, uh, time and time again. Um, I said it to you, I texted it to you, what a perfect time for a fuck you game from Jason Tatum. What a perfect time to just silence any and all criticism. Um, I, I'm much more invested than I was when we were talking about this in game five. <laughs> Yeah. And there's this, and you're totally right. It does have a lot to do with Tatum because sometimes I watch games and I'm like, does he fucking care? Like, do I care more than this guy? And when he hit, I forget what three it was. He had a ton of them tonight, but he hit a three and he's like rolling his eyes back in his head, screaming, Oh my God. And then he hit the 50 ball and he puts it up to the crowd as he's walking back. That's the type of shit I fucking love. That's what makes me love basketball. So seeing him perform in the moment, perform as well as humanly possible and let the crowd know about it, it just ignited something in me again. I love Boston. I've just disliked the Celtics for a decent amount of time just because they're so inconsistent. But something tonight it reignited in me that made me happy to root for them. We're glad to have you back. Let's talk about the Sixers and let's talk about what happened in these last couple games because game six, you're up three to two. Jason Tatum cannot put a ball in the basket. You come back from a 16 point lead and then you are unable to make a shot in the last seven minutes of play. That can't happen, man. That is about as bad of a choke job as you could have possibly had. And then they somehow topped it coming in in game seven. Joel Embiid goes five of 18. James Harden has nine points, five turnovers. This was not their performance that people were expecting after what we've seen from them up to this point. This was actually really meaningful to me because this was like a passing of the torch moment from one absolute playoff bum to the next. James Harden said, Joel Embiid, take this torch and run with it. And Joel Embiid took that torch and accepted the role as the next absolute playoff stinker player for the next decade of the NBA. This dude is a bum, and so is James Harden. This 76ers team, it was the most pathetic game I've watched in a long time. I'm talking to these random dudes at the bar, and I'm like, this team doesn't have it. Look, they want to quit. And then James Harden threw a turnover into the stands, and we just started laughing, me and these random dudes, because you could see it on their faces. They didn't have the nuts or balls or whatever you want to call it to come back and win that game. Fraudulent team, no heart. It was disgusting. And Joel Embiid has taken the torch for me as the biggest playoff stinker moving forward. Because I've already expected it from Harden for a decade. Like he's literally given me a decade of proof of being a bum. So that wasn't surprising. The Joel Embiid going back-to-back games of being trash he's my new guy that I'm targeting in the postseason. Yeah. Joel Embiid had a terrible game and this is going to leave an awful taste in people's mouths up until the next year's playoffs. Like it doesn't matter what's going to happen in round one of next year's playoffs. Everybody's just going to be counting out Joel Embiid for what was another awful performance, man. 
And it sucks to have this dude go into another game seven and just stink and have a heartbreaking loss after you go up three to two. We, me and you counted them out immediately. At the start of this series, we said Sixers were losing in five and they come in with a lead, with a three, two lead. And then they blow it the way only a James Harden and Joel Embiid led team can blow it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mentioned it quickly there. Like with Harden, it's what we expect, right? Anyone defending James Harden as a postseason player is sorely mistaken. And I've I've been tweeting at KOC over the last week because he had a James Harden defense on his podcast as of him as a playoff player. And I it literally I my jaw was on the floor here because I love and respect his opinions, but that was like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We see it play out tonight. We see it play out in game six. But Joel, like, I know I was making kind of a joke there as, like, the next professional pants pooper in Joel. But seriously, like, what has he done in the postseason? This is a guy who's made it to the postseason a lot and virtually done nothing every single time. I mean, even if you go back to, like, let's say the Hawks series, right? His numbers look okay, but then you find out that he averaged, like, five and a half turnovers a game. And in every fourth quarter, he disappeared. Well, it doesn't look so great anymore. And you lose to a team that's way worse than you. That's That means a lot, right? You go to the Raptors series. He's averaging like 17 points a game or some shit. And we're anointing him as the best, best next center in the league at that point. Like that doesn't look great either. And then you come off of this season winning an MVP, leading the league in scoring, all-time efficiency at the rate he scored. And then you give us a five for 18 performance in a game seven that sends your team home. Like really he has been doing this his whole career, but I think we've keep, we've kept giving him excuses because, Oh, he has a belly ache in the Toronto series or, Oh, he broke his thumb in this series. And Oh, well, what was the excuse this time? Right. Cause he looked great in game four, but then he just shit his pants the next three. So yeah, I think it, honestly, like moving forward in terms of like superstars that, kind of go beneath their expectations. I think Joel Embiid is is the guy who takes the torch from James Harden. Joel Embiid is going to be labeled a pants pooper from here on out in the playoffs. And rightfully um, so. And in the end of that fourth quarter, game six, he doesn't get almost any shots off in that fourth quarter. I don't remember how many, but it felt like he just disappeared. Yeah. Um, and part of that is the Sixers as a team need to understand this guy's got to have the ball in his hands every time. But part of it is you're the best player. Go get the ball. Um, and yeah. Joel Embiid doesn't do that, man. And it really felt like in game five, through the first two quarters at least, the mid-range shot was just beautiful and pure for Joel Embiid. And to think about the way the narrative would have shifted if Tatum was held to less points in the fourth and they just win that game six, the slander that goes to Jason Tatum's name and the way we boost Joel Embiid, and now the where we're at, it's really, really crazy. And there's really nothing Joel Embiid could do except for, you know, get deeper in the playoffs next time. Um, You texted me about him potentially wanting out. How realistic do you think that is? How far away do you think we are from that? We're not too far away. And I think, I think two things we need to talk about before we go to Joel leaving is doc rivers is absolutely being fired in maybe 30 minutes. Like, Probably as this podcast is being recorded, Shams tweets out, Doc Rivers is fired. Yeah. Um. Honestly, he 
me and you, we always laugh about Doc Rivers. Like me and you have zero respect for this dude as a head coach. Um, and whether that's warranted or not, I don't know. But we b- both of us just dislike him as a head coach very much so. Yeah. James Harden's going to Houston. This dude is leaving Philadelphia. Um, for him to show up in a Philadelphia arena next year with that jersey on, he should have security teams around him at all at all times with the way he just performed in game six and game seven. Um, but if we go to Joel... You know, how much faith does he have in Tyrese Maxey and Daryl Morey to put a contender around him, right? Because he's he's definitely to blame for the way they just lost. Absolutely. We're not going to we're not going to just pretend like he played great. That's not what happened. But when you have James Harden literally shitting his pants all over TD Garden and you have Doc Rivers, who is the most loser head coach in NBA history when he has a lead in a playoff series like do you want to deal with that? Probably not. You know, does Dame Lillard become a real option? I have no idea, right? So it's like, there's a decent possibility Joel Embiid is like, fuck, fuck Philadelphia, fuck the 76ers, Daryl Morey, you told me you could build a championship team and you haven't, I'm leaving. I don't know. What do you think? I think Mike Budenholzer is an available coach. Um, and, and if you want a guy who's going to give you the highest floor you possibly can, Mike Budenholzer over Doc Rivers in a landslide. Um, I don't know what that does for your playoff hopes because we have talked endlessly about Budenholzer's inability to change strategy during a playoffs. Uh, but I really think there's a world where they're okay. Uh, cause I think Doc Rivers holds the team back. You know, me and you have talked about it. If you replace a coach that's not very good with one of the better coaches in the NBA, your team is going to thrive. Um, I don't know what they do in the playoffs because this is just this is going to be the thing that people think about Joel Embiid until he fixes it. You know, we love recency bias and to get the MVP award and then to do this in the playoffs yeah. doesn't matter if you're playing on a torn ligament in your knee. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. you got to show up. It doesn't. And that and that's the same energy I've kept with every player, right? James That is fair. That is true. Right? Jason Tatum, all my wrist hurts. Well, you fucking sucked, right? And your team <laughs> lost. So I don't know what to tell you. And it's the same shit with Joel Embiid. I don't want to hear a single fucking word about that ligament in his knee. Because at the end of the day, dude, like you chose to play. If you were if you were hurt enough where you shouldn't have played, I would have given you a pass. Because what am I supposed to say? Hey, he gets hurt right? Kawhi, he got hurt, man. Like, that's what it, it is what it is. But Joel, he chose to play. And I think conveniently, like, maybe not conveniently, I don't know. We're, we're not even talking about how he played in the Nets series. I was texting you and I, you can go back to our podcast while that shit was happening. I made him as the next James Harden joke while that series was going on. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a track record that's growing deeper and deeper. You mentioned a new coach coming in. There's a plethora of like literal championship level head coaches on the market right now, which is very, very strange. We have Nick Nurse. We have Frank Vogel. We have Monty Williams, who has gotten to an NBA finals, right? Mm -hmm. Mike Budenholzer, who won an NBA finals. Just that crop alone is all an upgrade over Doc Rivers. Um, me and you, like we said, we've talked about this in private. Doc Rivers getting credit for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo. Eh, you know. Yeah. 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 We I, were still playing Perkins and Kevin Garnett at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. There are some reasons even back then to be critical of Doc Rivers as a coach. 
Monty Williams might be the guy. He is an excellent, if you're a player that wants to win, he is a phenomenal motivator and coach. Um, the beef with Aiton, I think I side with Monty Williams now. I kind of gave him crap for it earlier before I realized what Aiton was bringing to the table. Um, but Monty Williams could be the savior. But if James Harden doesn't stick around, it's all kind of for nothing. I don't know where that happens. It feels like there's been so much smoke around the James Harden goes back to Houston rumors that it feels inevitable, um, especially after the nine points performance that he put up in in game seven. But it really doesn't look that promising in Philly right now. No, it does not. And uh, it, it's going to be a very, very interesting offseason for them. Uh, just how you move forward, right? Because Joel Embiid's not getting younger. James Harden's washed. Tyrese Maxey's great, but I do think, you know, when we're talking ceiling, when we're talking like a player that can impact a team at a championship winning level, Tyrese Maxey as a second option doesn't really sway me, right? I think he's an unbelievable third option for a championship level team. But if you're boosting him up to that second tier guy, Personally, I think that's a little too rich, even if he does develop more. So if you're the Sixers, right, and you gave away picks to get James Harden on your team, what? where do you go from here? You're in a very strange spot, and it's just going to be interesting to see how Daryl navigates this moving forward. Yeah, Daryl Morey is a guy you can have faith in making good decisions. Um, he waited out Ben Simmons trade request until he got James Harden, who to his credit was an excellent player this regular season um, and showed up really well in what was it? Three of the seven games in this series. Maybe it counts for something. Um, So he makes good decisions, but if James Harden leaves for nothing, like you were just handicapped there's it's, it's going to be hard if Harden leaves to imagine how the Sixers can become a contender. And how Joel Embiid sticks around. Like, it's, it's, there's reason to be a little bit worried. Yeah. And in terms of like, you know, even the Damian Lillard made, uh, name that I mentioned, like, how do you get him on your team? Exactly. We've seen the prices to get these super high caliber players onto your team. The Sixers don't have the assets. I don't know. Like, it does feel like a dire situation for them. Um, and it, it honestly, it feels right that it was the Celtics who buried the stake in their hearts, right? Like this team has had the Sixers number for years now. Um, Joel Embiid through the whole thing has not been able to figure out the Sixer, uh, the Celtics. He's admitted to the media, hey, this isn't a rivalry. They kick our ass every single time. And it it's just played out again in the same fashion, right? With an absolute dominant wind to end the Sixers season. Um, it feels like, you know, Time is a circle, right? It's all happening all over again for both of these teams. If we were right and the Sixers lost in five and the Celtics just looked like a dominant force throughout the series, I think there would be a lesser reaction than what we're seeing right now because of the way that Embiid and Harden collapsed in game seven. Like with everything on the line, that is what they show. Um, I think we honestly would have gotten a lesser reaction if they lost in five. That's an unbelievable point. That's a very, very good point because, you know, if the Celtics just prove, hey, we're the fucking, we're the favorites to win the title and you just ran into us at the wrong time, the Sixers can just say, hey, they're deeper, they're better. Hey, hey, you know, it is what it is. But the fact that they played the Celtics to kind of a debt, like a, a standoff, yeah, you get them to a game seven, 
and then you shit the bed, it almost makes it worse. You're right. It's it's wild, man. Um, I'm super excited for Celtics Heat. I really think, you know, the Celtics have had a problem taking teams seriously. And this may be the ultimate test of that. The eight seed in the conference finals, a team that you almost played as your first round uh, difficult exit. Um, this may be the ultimate test of can you start the game taking this team seriously? Yeah, and what's interesting with this Celtics team that I kind of just forgot about is they played in two game sevens just as soon as last year on their way to the NBA Finals. Uh, they destroyed the Nets. They played seven against the Bucks, and then they played seven against Miami last year. Very similar script going on here, except the Hawks made it a little more difficult of a first round than it should have been, uh, been, right? We both agree on that. Well, they just go to seven with the Sixers. I would not be shocked to see this next series go seven, but I I would be shocked if they lost, right? It's one of these things where I, I think I need to start getting comfortable with the Celtics giving away games and then just playing when it matters, which is interesting. It is interesting, and it's frustrating, and a lot of times you don't have the time to just play like an excellent team again. Um, and the Miami Heat especially are not a team that's going to give you opportunities to claw your way back into games. Um, so talent-wise, they should beat the brakes off the Heat. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, you know, Duncan Robinson, these guys should not be outplaying Derek White, Marcus Smart, and Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so if the Celtics play like they did in that third quarter, like, I mean, it feels like you got to pick individual quarters of the playoff run so far to talk about the Celtics at their best. Cause they just can't put it together for 48 minutes. Yeah. It's super, super strange. But at the end of the day, like, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, the Celtics are crazy deep and the heat are lacking talent to just be nice. Um, you know, it, something I will be looking out for in the Heat Celtics series is how Rob is used again, right? Because the Heat have been putting Kevin Love and Bam out there together quite a bit. Now, you can't really have Rob as a roamer if you have Kevin Love in the corner on the opposite end. It, it would just kind of stretch him out. And then offensively, he's kind of limited other than his vertical spacing. So then you're kind of playing four on five for no reason. Um, but I don't know. Does Joe Maz stick with that situation? Does he go back to the lineup before? I have no idea. That's a wrinkle that I'm looking for moving into next series that I just think could really give the Celtics an edge if they make the right decision. Maybe that's when Grant Williams finally starts getting minutes. He's averaged 15 minutes a game over the Sixers series. And when we were talking earlier before these series started, like if you need a big body to throw out there, why not Grant Williams? It feels like Joe Maz has been fine just leaving Grant Williams on the bench. But for a guy like Kevin Love, it might be the better move because Grant can give you some spacing as well. And Kevin Love is not a good defender. He's not a guy that's going to get out to those shooters. Right. He doesn't have the legs to go and contest a wide open Grant Williams three. He doesn't have the speed to get there in time. You're absolutely right. I think that's a genius call. And and that's something that I would love to see from Joe Maz, right? Like he's going to get a ton of credit for this Rob William move. What would really impress me is if he made that Grant Williams move, right? Like if he said, you know what, we're going to take a guy that we haven't played virtually at all and maybe start giving him some significant minutes in a certain matchup throughout this series because we like a certain matchup, that would make me happy from Joe Mads, and that could you know potentially increase my opinion of him as a head coach. Yeah, because um, we know Spolstra is going to be out coaching him every step of the way. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we've seen Bam just continuously give the Celtics problems over his entire career. You go back to the bubble run, like that dude dominated the Celtics. I don't even remember what his stats were, but it just felt like every single game, Bam was the reason why the Celtics lost. Yes. And to make another, one of the last points about Jason Tatum and how great he was today. um, Part of it was he wasn't afraid to attack the rim. And this is the first game, at least in this series, that I have watched where Joel Embiid is on the floor and Jason Tatum is still driving hard to the paint and going up with a shot attempt. Um, And it worked because he's six foot ten and he's very strong. We talk about it all the time. He put on so much muscle over the past couple of years. Look at him use it. Look at how effective it is. Um, If he brings that to the series against the Heat, against Bam, he'll have success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the Heat are a strange team, too, because it's not like Bam is camped out in the paint all game like Joel Embiid. Bam is like switching on to guards and shit. So there's going to be opportunities for Tatum to get to the rim with no rim contest at all. It's just going to be Tatum versus Kevin Love or Tatum versus, you know, Cody Martin. And Tatum should be able to make that shot every single time. So potentially a great Jason Tatum series coming. Um, I think Jalen Brown, I'm very, I'm looking forward to how he plays as well. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast, the turnovers with him against the heat last year were abysmal. Um, We haven't seen much of improvement with his dribble and just keeping the ball safe this year. It's interesting to see if the heat go right back to that same strategy of every time he touches the ball, we're reaching in and we're going for a steal and how the Celtics counteract that because Ime was smart enough to say, Hey, if you touch the ball, you're shooting it. Or if you touch the ball, you're driving. And that's your role for this entire series. And it ended up working whether Joe Maz has the same clout and same, you know, idea of how to attack that strategy from the heat. We'll see. Yeah. And you know, it's probably unlikely that Joe Maz is going to do as good of a job as Ime did, but that is something that we could see. You know, if Jalen Brown has game one, comes out with six turnovers, we're going to see Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White and Marcus Smart setting him up a lot more. Um, I don't think of Joe Missoula as an amazing coach, but that is an obvious decision to make. And it seems like with everything but the timeouts, Joe Missoula does make the obvious decisions. Like none of the, there's no like really mind-blowingly dumb decisions that Joe Missoula makes except for the timeouts. Yeah, and there was a there was an interesting wrinkle that I caught while listening to this to the Zach Lowe podcast a few days ago. Lowe referenced that it wasn't Joe Missoula's decision to put Rob back in the starting lineup. It may have come within the organization at some point. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. It turned like you have a top five head coach in the league as your GM. Yeah. Brad Stevens is still in the building. And this is like a tactician to the highest degree in the NBA. Yeah. Like we mentioned it after the game five podcast, like how the Celtics improve their coaching staff moving forward, just getting head coaching experience in the building. Guess what? You have a pretty good one as your GM. And I, I think maybe that was Brad Stevens giving Joe Maz a call saying, Hey, you know what might work? Rob Williams back on the fucking court. Um, and it did, it worked. So, you know, I'm very confident about the Celtics being the representative of the East. Um, and it's just cool to see them finish out a series in the way they did today. I'm very pleased with how they played. Yeah, that is a great call also on the Brad Stevens end 
because if you are Joe Mazzula and you're he's like 34 years old, Al Horford's older than he is, and you get a call from your GM who's one of the best coaches of the last couple of years, and he tells you anything, you listen to him. Doesn't matter what the advice is, you do whatever he tells you because Brad Stevens has a great mind for basketball, and we've seen that prove it. Um, I'm really excited for the Celtics going into this conference finals. I really think this should be the chance to get yourself a little bit of rest for the finals. I think Nuggets Lakers is going to be a dog fight. And if you take the heat seriously from the jump, you could probably win the series in five. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Um, but I think the Celtics are definitely capable of that. Yeah, I'm with you. In terms of what they're capable of, they were capable of going 12-0 and through the East. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like that's how I feel about this team. Uh, if you go back to all of our preseason podcasts, I was saying they were going to win 65 games. Uh, this is a team that's fucking loaded. It's just the attitude, the willingness. That's something that I've had an issue with. But when they put it together, like you saw in game seven against the Sixers, they're fucking unbeatable. So it'll be very interesting moving forward. Um, ben, I don't know if you have anything else to say. I'm going to try to get a guest on. We'll see if the podcast continues after this. Do you have anything to say before we uh, finish up here? I've got nothing. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you later. All righty. We got our good buddy Jordan Poirier here, a part of the Boys and Girls Club Hoops Talk group chat that we love talking Celtics ball and all things basketball, really. Jordan, as a resident Celtics fan, how are we feeling after stomping the 76ers? <laughs> well, I mean, you said it right there, stomping the Sixers. I mean, that's my favorite thing in the world. I I hate the Sixers. I hate anything Philly. So to see them get embarrassed on our home court in a yeah. game seven, oh, my God. I'm just I'm thrilled on a beautiful Mother's Day, nonetheless. I mean, right? it, it's we're, we're, it's going up for us, man. I, I am just so fired up and – yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to get talking, man. I have so much to say. Yeah. Uh, how do we feel about Jason Tatum going off for 51 after what we can both admit was a pretty shaky few games for him? For him to come back and drop 51 and just kill the 76ers fan base franchise, like Doc will be fired later today. Daryl Morey, we'll see about him. James Harden will be going to Houston as a free agent. And Joel Embiid will possibly be asking for a trade request off of the back of that Tatum performance. What are your thoughts? I mean, at some point, right, Daryl Morey has to be on the chopping block. Maybe not the chopping block, but at least on the hot seat, right? I mean, yeah. he was supposed to be Mr. Big Shot coming in, turning around the franchise, and I mean – yeah, they, ha they have nice pieces. Like, I mean, I can only hate on Philly so much, right? They have some nice pieces. But the way that they were being talked about this playoffs, I'm like, this team is not like six, seven, eight guys deep. Like, they are starting lineup deep. And even some, like, PJ's Tucker has scored more than I've ever seen him score in my life. And yeah. So, I mean, that is what it is. But, like, I mean, what? You wouldn't blame, you wouldn't blame uh, Embiid asking to leave, right? I mean... It, he's he's been so patient with them i mean he's been through thick and thin i mean come on now the the rosters that they have put around him have been horrendous for someone of his caliber and like you know i throw my Embiid hate out there great guy i love him as a guy i love him as a player right i just hate that he's on philly but it, enough is enough man i, I want to see that guy flourish and if if he wants to flourish, then Philly's not it, man. Doc, unserious, like you said. He should be he should be fired already. Why haven't I seen a notification? He should be gone. Like, 
come on, he has the biggest history of choking. He is the biggest choke artist in, I think, NBA history. Um, and Harden's out of there. He's walking. I mean, even if they wanted him to resign, he's walking. Um, but yeah, man, Embiid, I feel for the dude. I do. Not that bad because this is glorious, but. <laughs> yeah, I think if you want to flourish, you got to put up more than 15 points in a game seven on 18 shots. So, you know, the team around him sucked. James Harden was nowhere to be seen in any of these fourth quarters. But Joel Embiid, the man himself, did not show up when the team wanted him to. No, no. He pulled a Jared Allen, man. Bright, The lights were too bright. <laughs> oh, were too bright I mean, this y'all's MVP because it's not mine. If I had a vote, Jokic would be number one. He'd be a, getting a three-peat, man. Um, but, no, you, you, you put the nail on the head, Ben, right? I, the nail on the head, Ben. Um, I can't talk, uh, but you know, I saw a stat too. Like you can't, you can't just put this on, on uh, Embiid because Harden plays a big role. The last 32 minutes in fourth quarter. So that's game five games, five through seven. He has scored zero points, zero points. Are you kidding from your second option? Yeah. Oh, brother. And like Jordan, me and you had a funny conversation before the series started about CP three versus James Harden just postseason performers, right? And I'm definitely not going to come up on here and defend CP3 after what just happened with the Suns. But what James Harden just did is like all-time choker shit. And he's given it to us over a decade. He refuses to show up in a big spot, right? And it's like, when we go through this series, we can look at, all right, game one, no one fucking thought they were going to win. No expectations. James Harden plays well, right? It's like, that makes sense. Um, and now games five through seven, when shit gets close, where where is he, right? So it's it's funny that we had that conversation before the postseason even started because when I was – I predicted Celtics in five because I have that little respect for James Harden. And he kind of turned into the guy that I thought he was going to be the whole series in those last three games. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, I just think, but let's talk instead of just shitting all over Philly, right? Because sure. yeah, absolutely, we can do that forever. Let's give the Celtics like some more hype, right? Like Jalen Brown was great today. Tatum, obviously, an all timer performance. Me and you spoke about this in the group chat a little bit. Joe Maz, right? He deserves a little bit of credit here, putting Rob Williams back in the starting lineup. How are you feeling about Joe Maz after Game Seven? So I guess I was in the minority, uh, which I felt like. There shouldn't have even been two sides. Like this is his first season coaching the team. Like I don't, and the the two sides being in question, right? Joe needs to go, and then the other side is like, no, Joe's doing a fine job. He's a first year coach. Um, I was waiting for a big time adjustment, and I'm glad that he came out and said before last game that he was making that switch. And you know, I think like i don't i hate the the email and i hate to even bring him up but i hate the email comparisons right because it's like all right look email for what he was yeah great coach he's awesome like respect right but look at the team he inherited right you like a lot of coaches could go in there and and get maybe i won't say the same results he got them to the finals right that's huge so i won't say the same results there's a lot of coaches that can go in there and get a couple playoff series wins, you know, with that roster. So I, I don't know what where what happened where all of a sudden Emay's just on this pedestal. And then Joe loses a couple games in a row and it's like, oh my God, this guy should be unemployed. 
this is a guy yeah this is a guy who has never been a head coach before of anything um who had the off season that he had after the ridiculous shit that we heard about Ime Udoka gets thrown into you know a quarter of an off season and he's led these guys this far I think if he was just better about timeouts we would never hear Joe Maz criticism. I think so much of it is fueled by the dumb decisions that he makes with the timeouts. Because other than that, how much does coaching really affect these wins and losses? Like he he does the the Rob Williams adjustment was excellent, but it's still on the players to win these games. No, absolutely. And like I I love when people go, you know, online or or speaking out to a bunch of people going, they claim they know what it's like to be a head coach. All of a sudden, everyone's been a head coach before. And you hit the nail on the head with, um, you know, calling timeouts, right? That's one of the few things us as like fans can actually speak on and understand, right? Yeah. We don't know the ins and outs of their game plans, their huddles, all that, all that stuff, their halftime speeches, the adjustments he makes behind the scenes that maybe the whole team notices, but since we're fans, we don't notice. That's what, that's what irks me is like, oh, I forgot everybody has been a coach of the year candidate now and knows how to properly run a team. That's that's crazy to me. I, as an Ime Udoka massive fan, and I'm not talking about obviously what happened off the court, but just as what he did for the Celtics, I think is one of the most miraculous things I've seen in sports, period. Like mm-hmm. baseball, football, hockey, basketball, anything to take a team that looked so defeated, so selfish. They didn't give a fuck about basketball. I don't care what any Boston fan says. Those first 50 games of that season was so gross. Um, For them to turn into one of the best defenses ever and then come a few games away from being a Golden State team that had prime Steph Curry cooking the shit out of them, like, I don't know. I just, for me, I don't know how many coaches can do that, but at the same time, Maybe I'm being too hard on Joe Maz comparing him to Udoka. As like Ben said, and you said, he's a first-time head coach. This is the first time he's ever done it. So maybe I should just keep my trap shut when it comes to him making mistakes. But I don't know. I, I think I, I want to give him credit for the Rob William move um, because he has to pull the trigger. He has to be the guy that says, hey, we're doing this. Um, he could get advice from others. He still has to be the guy making the decision, and he made it, and it worked in spades. So I, I'm more pleased with Joe Maz today than I have been at any point during the season. And he does seem pretty willing to admit when he makes mistakes. Like, the lack of timeout calling, he was willing to admit, like, yeah, I definitely should have called a timeout there. Um, and, you know, from a guy who's never been in this situation before, that's really all you can ask for. No, and, like... I mean, to kind of dumb it down or to put it simply, right? He's he's 34 years old. He's only nine years older than I am. And he's he's coaching a group of young like or a group of older guys, like pro athletes who are elite at what they do. He's two and, years younger than Al Horford. Uh, brother. <laughs> so when you put those things what's up? For you. As someone who wants to see the Celtics take home a championship this year, obviously, mm-hmm. is that something that worries you a little bit, that he is ex- inexperienced and he is a first-time head coach? Or do you think he's got what it takes to be like, hey, we're in the finals, we're in the thick of things, I trust Joe Mass to bring us home? See, I think, so... I'll I'm say, not going to fight you if you say yes. I'm not going to fight you if you say yeah. 
it's not like the number one thing that's making me nervous. It really isn't, honestly. I, I, a season in a couple of playoff series might not be the biggest sample size, but you know, to to add to what Ben said, right? He admits to his mistakes. He's like, "Hey, look, I'm I'm learning here. I'm like I'm learning the ropes. I'm trying to find what works, what doesn't." That's huge. That's huge for your players to like, because you know, we have our opinions. The players also have their own opinions. So, you know, some of these times where we're all thinking he should probably call a timeout, some of them are probably thinking that he should call a timeout, right? And they might be a little salty about it behind the scenes. But to you, you know, to sit sit back after a game, like after, you know, that that final play that did not go well. Um, I think it was what two games ago, last game, I can't remember off the top, but regardless. Being a player, being a part of that team, going there, sitting down and hearing your coach being like, yo, hey, hand up. That was on me. I should have probably called that timeout to get us, you know, reset to re- restart. That's huge. And that right there, that's what fires up a team. I know that that's what would fire me up. It's like, oh, OK, like, you know, I was hating on dude a little bit, but damn, like he he admitted like that, you know, he, he made a mistake. And yeah. the, the number one thing that makes him a great cho- coach is the trust that he has in his players. I mean, you've probably seen a ton of quotes by now um, of him talking to his players at, you know, in huddles and stuff like that. Like when Jason Tatum was, um, was struggling, right. Instead of getting on him, he's just looking at him like, Hey man, I love you, man. Go, go play your game. I I love you. Just know I support you go out there and do what you need to do. That in my opinion, surpasses the X's and O's stuff. It really does. Like when you can lock in, lock into your star player and be like, Hey, I'm riding with you, man. Go, go lead us to victory. That's, that's still good coaching right there. That's regardless of the X's and O's, the not calling timeouts or whatever saying that I'm like, wow, like I would run through a wall for this guy. Yes. And And throw a little bit of slander the Sixers way to throw a little bit of slander the Sixers way. A guy who is not doing that, who is not admitting here's where I messed up is doc rivers. And yeah. where is the buy-in? So even if Joe Mazzulla is not the best coach in the world, if the guys trust him and trust the decisions he makes, that's everything. Absolutely. That was a fantastic point. And to go on that, right, how long has Doc been a coach? Are we talking going on 15 years? Yeah, more like, than that, I think, yeah. So back to when Mazzulla was around 15 years old himself, yeah. right? And he's doing that this late in the game and still blaming his guys publicly, publicly and not taking the blame himself. That's what separates good from great. And I think Joe's off to a fantastic start. So regardless, if we, you know, I'll be devastated, but if, you know, we don't get the championship or if we don't make it to the finals, whatever, I cannot say that this season was not successful because. This is is an oddly refreshing take from you, Jordan, because I think. I can get me specifically. I don't know if Ben can say the same. Me specifically, I can kind of get sucked into, you know, I see something I don't like. And that's kind of the image I just have of someone for myself for a little bit. And Joe Maz really suffered from that, in my opinion. And honestly, I'm still not all the way there. Um, But to hear that kind of like, hey, the guys fucking love him. And sometimes that's kind of all it takes for a guy like Jason Tatum to perform the way he did in game six and then dominate in game seven because he has the belief of a head coach who actually gives a shit about him. And like, you're, like you said, like for you specifically as a person, if a coach spoke to you that way, that would really motivate you. 
And maybe Tatum has the same kind of like internal motivation that you have, right? Where if words, affirmation, encouragement, all that shit can get him to hit that level that we need to see from him. If you guys want to bring home a championship, maybe, I, maybe I'm hating for no reason. It's totally, I like, it was refreshing to hear your view on that actually. For sure. And you know, it's, I hate to always bring like X's and O's talk to it and like strictly gameplay stuff. Like at the end of the day, they're all human beings. So you got to look at it as like human interaction type stuff too. If you can't, if you treat these guys like robots or just like their pawns or basketball players and not like guys who, you know, you've shared a majority of your time with, like he's probably seen most of these guys more than his family right throughout the season. If all that's being said and you're still going, going into that, you know, those press conferences and kind of throwing those guys under the bus and like not taking, you know, not taking the blame and, and things like that, that really plays a role. Like it's a psychological game too, right? They always say it's like, what is it like 20% uh, physical, 80% mental, something like that. I don't, I'm definitely botching those numbers, but like it's a mental game at the end of the day. So if right. you and your coach aren't connecting mentally, good luck trying to win anything that's important, right? Like yeah. I, I just, and I think, I, I think people are just take culture is just killing us and everyone's yeah. too quick to go and, you know, express their opinions and be negative. And of course, you know, Celtics fans, we're the most emotional people on the planet. I yeah. say we, because I'm a Celtics fan, but I'm not really thinking of me. You know, I'm thinking of some <laughs> other key people who I shall not name. Um, <laughs> and I really uh, hope he listens like- to this. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, before we go on to the next one, I wanted to what um or I wanted to ask you, um, JP, um, what was the one thing that kind of got you to switch on Joe? You had said that there was a point where you you kind of started going, eh, well, I don't know about this guy, and I don't really think I know when that moment was. That's actually a really good question because I'm not, I'm not sure I can even tell you right because I remember talking to Ben throughout the season. I don't know if it was a specific game, just an overall feeling I had. I think it was when me and Ben started talking about coach of the year and Ben brought up Joe Maz as like a potential winner of the award. And I was like flabbergasted by it. I was like, there's no fucking way you can give this guy. I didn't even think second place uh, personally. Um, And it just seems like when you have the deepest team in your league kind of placed in your lap and you also have a complete, you know, guide on how to run a team from Ime, who, again, we spoke about he, what he did off court, whatever, but just like there was a blueprint there. Right. And yep. Joe Maz walked in with the deepest team in the league and a br- blueprint. And we're just supposed to say like, Hey, this guy knows what the fuck he's doing. And I, I made the reference to Luke Walton, Right. Luke Walton went 34 and 0 with the Warriors when Steve Kerr had a back surgery. Is Luke Walton a genius? I don't think so. Um, so I think maybe it was less of me hating Joe Maz as a coach rather than maybe the praise he was getting from Ben, my counterpart here. Um, I thought was a little ambitious or a little too much for me personally but now that you mention it I don't know if I can pinpoint a specific game that I really was like what the fuck is going on here um, but I think when the coach of the year conversation started to arise I was kind of like why is he being mentioned quite honestly but I don't yeah, know that was based partly on our expectations your expectations for the Celtics going into this season to be a 65-ish win team 
Um, so if they come out with 57 and we have games like the loss in overtime against the Cavs or the loss in overtime against the Knicks, there were some moments where it just felt really easy to blame Joe Missoula for some losses. And after the All-Star game, too, the Celtics kind of had this weird stretch of basketball yeah. for about a month there. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a culmination of everything. I don't know. But Jordan, honestly, the way you spoke about him is it's opening me up a little bit to him. Like, I, I want to give him another chance. And again, he's a fucking rookie head coach. Like, I'm probably being too hard on him. But when you have title expectations, you got to be hard on guys. That's what um, you get. Yeah. Jordan, moving forward. You know your opponent in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're facing the Miami Heat for the third time. How are we feeling about this specific matchup? Let me tell you, I've said it all three years. <laughs> the person on the Heat that scares me the most is Coach Spo. <laughs> that dude is phenomenal. And regardless of whether he had LeBron, Wade, Bosch, I don't want to hear all that crap. I don't want to hear any of it. Yeah. This dude, you, where do I even start? You want to talk adjustments? Look at Spo. That dude knows how to make adjustments, right? He, we were in shambles playing against a two-three zone, a two-three zone that you even look at high at the high school level. You're like, oh, we could break this, and yet he had us in hell, <laughs> in hell, right? So I, I think, oof, might be a hot take. I, I I can't say I would think he I, I can't say he is, but if you were to try to persuade me that he's the best coach of all time, I could be persuaded. He's one he's I think he's the best coach doing it right now. Um he's never won a coach of the year award, which is unreal. Um, but he is clearly, you know, at worst, he's a top three head coach right now. I think he's the best. I think he's going to outcoach Joe Missoula every step of the way. But I don't know that it's going to matter in terms of what the final score is. No, it's not. You you said it right. And then obviously Jimmy. I mean, playoff Jimmy Butler. Well, uh, I, I don't want to be one of those people. Jimmy Butler in general, like I always, I've always really connected because it's the player I was that the person who plays both sides of the basketball, that hustle guy, just the grinder. Um, I resonate a lot with him. Um, love Jimmy. So he frightens me, of course. But we go back to depth, right? I don't think there's a team in this league deeper than us. I really don't. And that that won us this series, right? I mean, uh, granted, yeah, adjustments, Tatum's 50-piece, obviously, you know, stuff like that. But we have, what are we, eight guys deep? More, maybe. That's dumb. And yeah. like that right there is the deciding factor of the series, right? Because I forget which one of you made the comment earlier, but, you know, coaching only changes the game so much. At the end of the day, especially at the NBA level, you rely on your guys on the floor, right? They're not they're not running plays every possession. They're not doing the X's and O's stuff every possession. You got to rely on your guys, the pure talent that you have. Again, we have the best player in the series. We have Jason Tatum. And typically, I go by that rule of thumb. Typically, whoever has the best player in the series ends up, at, if they're not winning it, they end up having the best chance of winning the series. With that being said, I think the Heat take us to six games. I think yeah. we win in six. Would not be surprised if we won in seven. Just want to throw that out there. But I think the, the magic number is six. Be prepared. When, whenever we lose our first game, Celtics fans are going to tell us it's over and that this season was for nothing. Joe should be fired and we should trade Jalen Brown because the Jays aren't good together. Blah, blah, blah. 
it's it's okay. We just lost two twice in a row and almost gave up the series, you know, by the numbers, but we we came back and got it. So Heat series, I think it goes six. Spo, <laughs> that dude's one game one has won games by himself. Just based yeah. off of his coaching, he's yeah. won games by himself. So he's gonna steal one from us. Jimmy's gonna steal one from us. I am very glad Tyler Hero. I'm not glad that he's injured, but I'm glad that you know he's not here to make a difference. Right. Um, if that makes sense, you know, I would never wish on you know root on someone's downfall like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, they'll they'll take a couple and it's fine. But yeah, yeah. Celtics and six man. I think you nailed it on the head. I think Spo is a genius. I love your take that he could be the best ever. I love that take. However long he decides to do it, you know, he's a pretty young guy. He could absolutely get there. And like you said, he might already be there. Who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, And when it comes to the Celtics versus the Heat, you know, in a talent disparity conversation, you know, Celtics could sweep, but... That's not happening because I have too much respect for Jimmy Butler, too much respect for how Bam plays the Celtics, and Eric Spolstra, like you said, is one of the all-time greats, right? So even though the talent looks a little lopsided, the Heat never give up. They have a ton of heart, and they play their ass off on both ends of the ball. Um, And I think, honestly, you kind of projected it perfectly. I think, you know, get ready, Celtics fans, to lose a few games. Like, just get ready. But I would probably say, don't worry about it. At the end of the day, like talent wins out usually. You, you're right, Jordan. Usually the best player wins a series. That's why I had the Bucks winning the East this year, which yeah, looks funny true. now. But, you know, Giannis is that guy. And Tatum just showed us tonight he can be that guy. So, and Butler has shown it to us too. So it's going to come down to who's better, Butler or, or Tatum, and then depth from there. But yeah, I think you forecasted it perfectly, Jordan. Um, it's going to be a really fun series, Ben. What little bit of thoughts uh, about this series? I'm just excited to watch the Miami Heat defense. I mean, Eric Spolstra is still running zone. Like this year in the playoffs, they're running zone and sometimes against the Knicks. And it's because they don't have excellent shooters everywhere. If you try that against the Celtics, it worked a little bit the last time we played them, but it doesn't seem like it'll be an effective recipe. When you've got, you know, Derek White's growing into himself more than he was the last time we played him. Malcolm Brogdon being on the team. It just feels like, if you give the Celtics the opportunity to bomb away from three, we're going to do it pretty effectively. So I'm I'm really excited to see what the defense looks like. That's a good point, honestly. And like, I don't know, Bam has been struggling uh, lately. Uh, people are saying, where's the old Bam? I mean, he's he hasn't even been in the league that long. I don't even know if there is an old Bam. He's 25. But I know. <laughs> and like, um, but you know, he's been struggling. They're really lacking on depth. They're relying on their role players, right? And and what's the one thing that's said about role players? They perform better at home. Who has home court advantage? We do. Thank you very much because that's going to be big. That's going to help. That's going to give us an opportunity for our role players to get into a rhythm again. I know, I don't know if it's both Brogdon and Derek White, but they've been a, a little shaky for what they've been doing this year in the past few games. So being able to go into this next series and play at home for two games first, really, really, it it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. And I'm hoping by that second game, they kind of get into that, you know, that rhythm that they have to, you know, then go on the road to Miami. So, um, you know, our role players are really going to have to step it up, man. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy can put the clamps. I'm trying to think, right. Jimmy and Bam are their two best defenders. Who, 
Do they really have any other wing defenders? I'm really trying to. I mean, Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin play out of their minds defensively, play as well as they possibly can, but they don't have the size. Yeah, they can't sit in a chair and stop someone. It's just, it's all effort, which is, I mean, that's half a defense, right? It's just effort. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to like Tatum giving him a shake and bake, that, that shit's not going to work. Uh, Tatum's going to give him the business. I Something I talked to Ben about in our like precursor to having you on, Jordan, is Bam's notoriously been pretty good against the Celtics. Do you have a any sense of worry that he might step it up when it comes time to face the Celtics? I think he will. I think Celtics fans are going to get, are going to overreact to the amount of rebounds he's going to get. He's going to out rebound us. It is what it is. Like just, I'm just going to chop that category up to an L it's fine. He's going to give them a lot of second chances, you know, and what have you, but look at the way Al has, Locked up the MVP, man. The MVP. What do you hold in B tonight? 15 points, you said? In a game points. seven? Brother. So, honestly, in years past, Bam would have scared me more. He hasn't scared me. He doesn't scare me as much as he did, you know, the last one to three seasons. I think the resurgence of Rob coming out and giving us that energy and just – Rob is like a pest. He is that guy – where you love to have him on your team, you hate to play against him because he's always working in the paint. Whether or not, I mean, I I, had, I think I tweeted about it this game. Um, we need to get our boy some stickum for those hands because he, brother, he cannot secure a basketball. So that's another conversation. But, you know, aside from that, he's always there. He's always jumping at those loose balls. He's always getting in the way. He's always going to make it tough. I think Bam's going to get really tired this series, especially if we run which I think we'll be able to, if we run those two big, that two big lineup, that's going to be tough for them. Bam's going to be doing a lot of work down low by himself. And that's a lot to ask for, for, you know, I would say 48 minutes, but I say he'll probably be playing around 35, 38 minutes. So that's going to be tough for him. But to answer your question, I like Bam. I think he's a good player, not trying to diminish him at all. I think he's still going to struggle against us. I really do. I, especially with the motive or the, um, you know, kind of the, the boost that we got the conf, the boost of confidence from this game that we got. I think it's going to be tough for him. An interesting wrinkle on the rebounding end. I don't know if this, I hope this is something that people talk about for the Sixers series. Uh, Jason Tatum out rebounded Joel Embiid 11 to nine. Jason Tatum's averaging 10.4 rebounds a game over these playoffs. This is the best, you know, nobody talks about how important rebounding is, but this is obviously the best that Jason Tatum's ever been in as, as a rebounder. That could be something that actually causes a little bit of an issue for Bam. It's at least something that I have been super impressed by watching him, watching Tatum so far. Yeah. That's a and great point. Jordan, for forecasting a little bit forward, if we all think here that the Celtics are going to win the Eastern Conference Finals, Who's the opponent you want to see in the finals? Who's the team that you want to face? That's so tough. That's, I mean, great question. That is so tough, right? Um, uh, Jokic scares the hell out of me. He scares the – he's the person I thought should have won MVP again for the third year in a row. Um, but – LeBron historically has proven that 
he can get a lot done with not a lot around him. And I, I really don't want to play against him. I really, I really don't. AD doesn't really scare me as much. I think he's very inconsistent. And I think since they won their first championship, he's coasted. I think that was his goal was to win a championship. And ever since then, he's just kind of like the meh, like whatever. But again, it's a LeBron James led team. And I really, I just wouldn't want to go there. So believe it or not, I would want to take Denver. I think, you know, we, we just talked about, we just talked about our, our, our paint presence on the defensive rebounding front, right? Tatum stepped up a lot. We have Rob being a pest. We have Al being down there, his long reach. I think, I think that's enough to tire Jokic out. I mean, tire him out, meaning, you know, he averages 25, 15, and 8. But, like, I think that's enough. And I don't – again, I should be watching Denver a lot more than I should have. It's those West Coast games, and I'm getting older. So um, I, I haven't been able to catch them as much. But I want to say that they don't have the greatest depth either. I think they have – their starting lineup is really strong, really, really strong. I well, okay, maybe not. They they do have okay depth now that I'm trying to think about it. I want to say maybe they go what six or seven deep, yeah. Ish. Um, I think their their role players, especially theirs, perform a lot better at home than they do on the road, so we can bank on that. Um, but I would say Denver, and I want to say they probably take us six or seven. Honestly, I I give. I give Jokic a lot of credit. Um, he, I, how many games has he personally won for his team in this playoffs? I feel like it's a series worth, to be honest. So he steals a couple from us, him alone. And like, you know, if he doesn't, great. But that's that's who I'm taking. What about you, fellas? What about you, Ben? The question, if we play, if we play against Denver, the question is, can we do anything to limit Jokic's passing? Um, if we start double teaming him, it's wraps because he is one of the best in the league at passing out of double teams. So are, are we trusting Al Horford as a one-on-one defender against Jokic at this point, you know, as much as I love Al, as much as I love what he just did in game seven, that's a little bit concerning. Um, offensively, I think the Celtics would be fine. I think the the jump shooting would be fine. If we can get to the paint, the Celtics, if you watch the Suns or the Nuggets, if you watch the Suns series, did so well keeping guys out of the paint that if Jason Tatum isn't driving very much, that's going to be difficult for us. But as a Nuggets fan, I want to see Nuggets Celtics. What about you, JP? Yeah, uh, I also have Nuggets Celtics, um, but I think that's the team the Celtics should fear. Because Jokic is a dog, dude. And it's kind of my same thinking behind the Giannis thing, where I had the Giannis and the Bucks winning the championship this year. Like, I talked to Ben about this the other day through text. It just feels like Jokic is on a mission right now. Like, 30-point triple-double through the series with the Suns. He had a 53-piece in one of those games. I, I just, I feel like we're starting to see the birth of an all-timer and when that shit happens, it's really hard to stop. Um, so I don't know. I, I lean nuggets. But what I've seen from the Celtics over the last two years is they just kind of figured things out up until the finals. And then some issues happen. So I'm I'm leaning towards the nuggets. But it's going to be a dogfight again. Like, I don't think the Celtics go out easily. I think it's probably six or seven, like you said, Jordan, except the other way. 
as a yeah, Celtics and- Nuggets fan, just the legacy building that Jason Tatum or Jokic would would get to after each of them would get a Finals MVP. I'm here for either of them. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, just to touch on this, because I know I said earlier, typically, you know, the team with the best player ends up usually winning the, the playoff series. So I contradicted myself. But the other player I would have to pick is is LeBron James. And you want to talk legacy. You want to talk, you know, will to to get things done. Whether or not I think he's better than Jason Tatum, like right now, just like at this point in time. It, it's more of a toss-up than what I would say Jokic versus Tatum, which I think Jokic is the better player. I just think, you know, 20 years in, LeBron's still performing at this level. He remembered that first finals team he had. Well, I can't say really remembered from experience, but looking back at that, you know, that roster that he took to the finals, he can will teams to championships. He helped will his team back down 3-1, you know, against the greatest team of all time. Like, there's just too many, too many factors going in there, more than just all right. Who's the best player in the series? Whereas this Nuggets team, I'm like, okay, if they can get tired out from LA, you know, hopefully, I think it might be a sound series. But hopefully, they get tired out from LA, and then us being able to bank on having home court advantage. I like our supporting cast against Denver's supporting cast a lot better, and I think that's what comes out and helps us win this. Yeah. And thank you for coming on. This was awesome, Jordan. We always love having the boys on from Hudson. Um, I appreciate it. Jordan, do you got anything else to anything else to say before we get on out of here? Yeah, I do. Um Celtics fans, relax. Just take it easy for me. We have lost games before. We will lose games again. It is quite all right. And also, basketball is a game of runs. If the other team scores 10 straight, the game isn't over. It's okay. Let's just relax. Let this team do what they do. They proved us right. I mean, they proved all you guys wrong, all you overreactors wrong this series. Now, why don't we just let the pro athletes do what they do best, and we'll just be spectators and watch the game. I think that is a perfect way to end this. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Peace.